0: Welcome back to The Middle of Culture. I'm one of your co-hosts, Peter. And I'm your other co-host, Eden. Eden, how have you been? You and I were kind of talking about the uh, unfortunate things with your trip before we started. But uh, other than that and having to come home from Maine early, how have you been doing?
1: I, you know, I've been doing pretty okay. Um, keeping myself busy, um, trying to, uh, you know, survive the time change, it gets dark so early now. It's so miserable. Why do we do this to ourselves?
0: <laughs> right? It really is. It's awful.
1: We got to stop falling back. We can spring forward and then we need to never fall back.
0: I agree. Yeah. Nope. Totally on board with that.
1: How about yourself? How you been?
0: I've been hanging in there. Uh Work has been pretty rough and uh there have been a few things that have, <laughs> shall we say, had me questioning my life choices but that's okay uh we're hanging in there
1: well that sounds that sounds rough man Uh, you know it it has been
0: (laughs) there I I am increasingly grateful that Aubrey has decided to not go into medicine I applaud her choice and her wisdom (laughs) but that's like I say it's it's okay it's okay I did. Uh, well, you don't. What's up? Uh, no, go I ahead. was just gonna say I did have a, uh, you know, one of those kind of guilty parent days where I was downstairs in, in the workout room exercising, and it was around five o'clock this morning, and uh, Gareth opened up the door, and he's just standing there like in his boxer shorts, and he looks awful, and I'm like, dude, what's oh. the matter? He's like. I started throwing up at one o'clock in the morning. I've been throwing up since then. At least I don't have anything in me to throw up anymore. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, man.
1: Oh, no. So
0: I don't know if he just got a little bug or if it was something from something he ate. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I kind of told him, go upstairs, rest, do what you can. I'll come check on you before I leave for work. It was a surgery day, so I had to leave early at about 630. And I go upstairs to see how he's doing. And he's like running into the bathroom, leaning over the toilet, dry heaving again. So, you know, I go downstairs and I manage to find some Zofran, uh, which is a a prescription anti-nausea med that I still have on hand from when I had my last kidney stone. And, uh, you know, it's it's a good med. It's basically what they give uh, cancer patients who are getting chemo. And so I pop one of those out and Mm. I give it to him and, you know, it's an, it's an oral dissolving tablet, so you don't have to swallow the tablet. You just stick it on your tongue and it dissolves. So I give that to him and then basically I like pat him on the shoulder. I'm like, okay, good luck. And then I walk out the door (laughs) and I feel like a total bum. So, you know, it's not like anything really would have been different if I'd have been home. So it's one of those things that intellectually, I understood that. But still, I kind of felt like a crappy parent. And then he sends me a text, Fair. and he's like, at about eight thirty, and I'm in between surgeries, and I get a text: the medication didn't work. Do we have anything else? Uh, and and the answer is oh, no, ma'am. no, we did not. But hey, you know what? Fifty-seven dollars to DoorDash later, uh, some Pepto-Bismol and Dramamine with ginger was dropped off at the house for him. So. You know, that was how I tried to how they get assuage now. my uh, my parental guilt was overspending on DoorDash uh, to get it there as quick as I could for him. And I think he's only thrown up once since then. So, you know, we're he's doing better.
1: Well, I mean, that's good. I mean, sorry, sorry that he's not feeling well, but uh, it sounds like hopefully he's on the mend. Hopefully this is just like a 24-hour bug.
0: I think so. He looks much better. But, you know... It's just fun things like that where I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel bad. But again, wouldn't have changed anything if I'd have been home, really. So uh, in the end, it was no big deal. But he's doing better.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that.
0: But yeah. So uh, what you've been checking out lately? Anything that you wanted to talk about? You hinted at something we needed to talk about earlier, but it sounds like we're going to save that for the main event. Is, is that what I was picking up? Yes. Okay.
1: Um, because it's a distressing fact that I found out about someone involved with the main event. Um,
0: Oh, okay. Very good. I look forward to hearing, to, to hearing that and talking about it. So other than that, what else you've been checking out? Uh,
1: so it's, you know, it's been a a month since we've chatted with each other. So I've been pretty busy. Um, you know, uh, been reading a lot. I, uh, while we were out in Maine, uh, we stepped into a comic shop and they had a bunch of, like, back-issue, like, runs all collected. Um, you know, like, here's one through 16 of a series or whatever. So, like, the whole run of it instead of, like, all separate, uh, you know, single issues. Um, and they had a bunch of them from the DC character Amethyst, Amethyst Princess of Gemworld. Have you ever heard of Amethyst?
0: No, I have not.
1: Well, I, that doesn't surprise me because she's not a very well-known character um it was clearly like so I, I picked it up what they had there and then i was like maybe i should become like a sicko about amethyst <laughs> so i bought all of the other stuff that has ever been published about amethyst uh in the last few weeks and have read almost all of it at this point um and i think i'm kind of a sicko about amethyst comics okay um so unfortunately the last time you could buy these was in a black and white like one of the DC essentials uh, collections or whatever they're DC DC showcase it was Marvel essentials they're like big foam book style uh, collections and they didn't even collect the whole story in it of the original run so like if you were to want to get into amethyst good luck cuz you're not gonna be able to read it probably Um, but the premise of amethyst really feels like hey what if we did like a He-Man style thing, but for girls, but this was before She-Ra existed. Gotcha. Um, but anyway, so the premise is there's this girl named Amy and on her 13th birthday, she receives this amethyst pendant. She thinks from her parents, but it's actually from this weird creature that came through a portal. And, as she touches it, she goes through the portal and is transported to the gem world where she's actually from. Mm. And, you know, for some reason, time passes differently in the gem world than the world, than the earth. So she gets aged up and now she's 20 so that we don't have to deal with the fact that she's 13 and we're doing like reader insert young teen tweens reading this comic and be like, yes, I also wish I was a 20 year old adult. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like the premise is she is the long lost daughter of the king and queen, like the king and queen amethyst who were the rulers of the amethyst like realm and rulers of the gem world as a whole, which is this, you know, uh, landmass that is split into 12 kingdoms, each kingdom ruled by a different ruler who has control over magical powers that are, uh, you know focused by their gem of whatever type they are ruby or sapphire or, or amethyst or opal or whatever and like you know there was this huge war where dark opal who's the bad guy started taking over and killed amethyst's parents so citrine like secreted amethyst away to the planet earth until she was old enough to come back and fight for it and blah 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 blah. it's a bunch of like weird like fantasy bullshit mm-hmm. um But it's pretty fun. Um, Ernie Colon is the artist, and he, this was, like, late in his career. He was, like, past his prime at this point, but it still is really fun to look at a lot. Um, And it eventually starts getting weirder and weirder and... Keith Giffen eventually takes over as the writer and starts doing really weird shit with it. Um, and Bernie Manolo becomes the artist and it just looks like a million bucks at that point. And it just gets like real weird as the comic goes on. And so they published 12 issues in a maxi series and then they had an ongoing that went for 16 issues and then there was an annual that was supposed to wrap things up and then they did a four year a four issue mini series after that and that was like the story of amethyst and then of course after the new 52 happened they were like hey let's bring back amethyst so then there's a 9 issue run in the new 52 era of amethyst books and then in 2020 they were like hey what if we bring back amethyst again And so there was a six-issue miniseries in 2020 that is, like a lot of the post-New 52 DC stuff, hey, the stuff that happened before happened mostly sort of. (laughs) Um, And that is kind of how it approaches it. It's like, hey, that stuff from the old miniseries from the 80s mostly happened sort of, but not that end part, but the rest of it sort of did. Um, and so it's, it's a weird positing of the way things work over at DC these days where like everything and nothing are simultaneous. It's like Schrodinger's canon when it comes to a DC character at this point. Um, and so that's true also of Amethyst. Um, so then there's the six issue thing. And then finally, the last thing they published with Amethyst was DC has really been pushing into like the middle grade and YA comics, like graphic novels for kids, like the popularity of Dogman and the Raina Telgemeier books have really made publishers want to push into that like kids, middle grade YA sure. comics. And so DC has been doing a lot of that the last few years. And so they did one about Amethyst that came out a year or two ago. I haven't read that yet. I picked it up at the store yesterday, but uh, it's pretty fun. Like it is all pretty good. None of it's like, Oh my gosh, this is the greatest comics I've ever read. But like, a lot of it is like, this is this is pretty good comics. This is fun wow. comics. So I've been reading a lot of Amethyst. Nice. And then uh, the only other things I would mention is I have been playing a lot of video games. Um, two of them I can just mention kind of offhand because I kind of tried them a little bit. Didn't really stick with me. Um, I tried the newest Need for Speed game because I'd heard really good things about it. Okay. Um, it's need for speed unbound. and to be fair, style off the charts. It looks like a million bucks. It's very cool the way that it incorporates like cell shaded um like effects when you drift or when you bang into things while the rest of the game has the like typical like photorealistic cars and streets look sure. um and then the people are all like, cell shaded looking too like in your in the character you create and in the story mode the other people that you interact with also are these like you know cell shaded characters in this world where everything else is photorealistic so it's a really interesting mix of of um uh style the problem is i f- suck at car racing <laughs> games i just suck Fair. at them like i'm not good at it i am not good at it and i've tried other ones i i remember being okay at it when i was a kid i remember playing need for speed hot pursuit 20 years ago and thinking hey i'm pretty good at driving a car Uh, i apparently 20 year old me was 40 year old me is not (laughs) it
0: happens it happens
1: (laughs) so unfortunately i think need for speed unbound looks very cool but i'm not playing any more of it because i am bad at driving okay Another game that I played a little bit of um, and then I stopped, not because I'm bad at it, but because it is just objectively bad, um, is the video game Gotham Knights, Ah. which is the pseudo sort of follow-up to Rocksteady's Arkham Trilogy. It's not really, but they're like certainly trying to make you think that it is, even though it's definitely not. Sure. Um, But, you know, it is a basically like a looter punch game like a looter combat game where you play as either batgirl or nightwing or the red hood or robin because batman has been killed and in theory you could do it co-op but i don't know anyone who would ever want to play this game because it's terrible (laughs) so i wasn't playing in co-op um, and like the writing was so leaden and the performances were so terrible. And I played two or three hours of it, and then I was just like, This sucks. This really sucks. Have you played that? No,
0: no. No, I have
1: not. It it looked like something I was gonna bounce off. Well, it was it was on Game Pass, so It was on Game Pass, so the only thing I had to lose was my time and my unlimited bandwidth for internet. So, it was fine. I set it to download, went and ate breakfast, and then it was ready. Uh, It was bad, though. The reason I was interested in playing superhero games, though, is because I played Spider-Man 2. Ah. Now, I'm going
0: to just... I'm going to say that we have it. Gareth has played it. I have not but I am very excited to do so.
1: I won't spoil anything. I won't spoil anything other than to say it's really good. It's a very good spot. Did you like the first Spider-Man game?
0: I mean, I kind of think people who don't like the first Spider-Man game just don't like life.
1: Then you'll like the second one. I mean, it's not,
0: I mean, the first Spider-Man game was fantastic. I loved it.
1: It's very good. It's very good. It's not as good as the Miles game. The Miles game is better than both Spider-Man or Spider-Man 2 because it's half the length. And uh, Miles is a better character than Peter Parker. I'm not sorry to say. (laughs) Um, So when he is the primary focus, it's a better game than when he is a side character in the first game or the secondary focus in the second game. Sure. You get to play as Miles quite a bit in the second game, but primarily it's mostly a Peter plot with miles as a secondary deuteragonist not as a like secondary protagonist right um but i do think that it was very fun good anyway it's really good um miles is great peter's great my biggest complaint is i don't like the new spider-man face
0: the and is it the basically it's the same one from the remaster
1: Yeah. yeah like and I know exactly what they did. I know what they did. Because if you go back and you play vanilla PS4 Spider-Man, you're like, oh, he's an Andrew Garfield ripoff. Uh-huh. And then you play Miles Morales or the remaster or Spider-Man 2 and you're like, oh, they cast a new Spider-Man. So they had to change his face. So now he looks like a Tom Holland uh-huh. ripoff instead of an Andrew Garfield uh-huh. ripoff. And I don't think it looks as good because I don't know if it's the design. I don't like as much. Or if it's just that I played the first one with that first face and loved it so much that I'm just like, that's Spider-Man's face in this universe. Yeah. Why did they change yeah. it? I do think it's dumb. And all of them are like, oh, well, we had to change the model because this one worked better with the rigging. and blah, blah. You're all liars. You're all liars. Uh, we all know what this is. You changed Andrew Garfield into Tom Holland because he's your new Spider-Man. Uh-huh. But it's neither here nor there. It's good. I like it a lot. I'm very curious to see how you feel about it when you get to it. We'll have to talk about it then.
0: We shall. I will try and get to it, um, but it's going to be a little bit.
1: Eh, no judgment. Anyway, what you been up to?
0: Well, a few things. There's been some new music that's come out lately that I've been really enjoying. And in particular, I think I enjoyed it a lot because last weekend I had a little... Uh, Trip over to Boise, my uh, barely 14-year-old freshman swimmer, qualified for the state finals in all four of his events that he swam at District. So that was pretty badass. Um, Yeah, good for him. Yeah, he's good. And, you know, his 500 freestyle, uh, he dropped about 13 seconds at District from his previous best. Dropped another two seconds Friday night and then another four and a half seconds Saturday to get down to a new personal best of about five minutes, 34 seconds to swim 500 meters, which anybody who has tried to swim 500 meters like that, that's pretty damn good. Um, So I
1: was going to say that seems really fast.
0: It is. So pretty proud, uh, pretty proud dad there, Uh, but you know, had a fair bit of time in a car and And some time to uh, listen to some music. Because he went over on the bus with the team. So I was just driving over and back by myself. Sure. And uh, so a few new albums that came out. Uh, Spirit Box is kind of one of those bands that I really, really like. And I listen to a lot. And then I sort of move away from them for a bit. And I think I've figured out what they do. Uh, Spirit Box is kind of, you know, they're hard for me to characterize. I would probably go... If I'm painting with really broad strokes, I would call them metalcore. I don't really like metalcore, so maybe that's why I don't want to just call them that. But, you know, it's it's very melodic, modern metal with, you know, some breakdowns and clean vocals and harsh vocals. And anyway, you know, I I like the band. I've been a fan for a number of years, but I kind of fell off a little bit after they released their album Eternal Blue a couple years ago. And then they had a new uh, EP coming out. And the first single, well, they, they released two singles and they were good. I mean, they're really good songs, but they didn't grab me. And then they dropped the single Cellar Door, which is probably one of their heaviest songs to date. And all of a sudden I was back in. And then the album came out and it's got Cellar Door and then it's got a couple others. And then it has one called Angel Eyes, which is kind of a really weird song but it's super heavy. Okay. And so I was all back in. So I've been listening to some spirit box, really digging that. Uh, There's a little band from Boston, which I know it's silly because I'm from Utah, but I feel like Boston is my hometown, like big city, way more than I identify with Salt Lake after living out in New England. And so if you're from Boston, I'm automatically going to pay more attention to you. It's just a thing for me. I don't know why. Uh, but the band Mourn uh, dropped a new album. They are very sort of post-Doom, heavy, sludgy, very atmospheric. Uh, and it's been a number of years since their last one. So it was great to hear from them again. Uh, then That's cool. Then another band, uh, Brickaville, dropped four. And their previous albums are all, again, kind of instrumental, post-metal. Uh, the new one is also very good. And then... The band uh, Soth or Xoth or whatever, X-O-T-H, they dropped their new album Exogalactic, which is a little bit of a change. It's kind of thrashy, technical, death metal kind of stuff. But those have all been getting a lot of play lately, and it's been fun to have some new music because I've been doing a lot of music while I'm writing. It is November, and those who listen to the pod, remember that last year Eden and I did NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, and this year I decided to do it again. So I've been trying to crank out my 1,667 words each day, and I've been doing pretty good. I am... Oh, I'm about 2,000 or so words ahead of where I should be at this point. So I'm making some progress. But, you know, I've been trying to write every day. And I tend to go up into Good my office you. and put on some music uh, and write. So that's why I've been getting a little... Another reason I've been getting some extra music in. It's also the reason why I haven't been doing a whole lot else the last week and probably not going to get to Spider-Man at least until December. But... That's fair. A couple other real quick things worth mentioning. Uh, I did finish Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, as we had brief- briefly talked about previously. You are very correct. Uh, the police turn into the bad guys in the show. And I I liked the way they approached it. I thought they did a pretty good job of trying to incorporate that stuff into the show and kind of face it head on in a way that you know, I thought took, I thought took a little bit of guts to do. And so I give him credit for having the courage to go to, to face those things and incorporate it into the story and not shy away from it at all. So I give him credit for that.
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I expressed my distaste for, um, cops previously on this podcast. (laughs) Um, but I think that they, I think that they walk the line pretty uh, about as well as you can without just saying we're changing the entire premise of the show, of like we need to reckon with the fact that there are systemic issues here, and like it ends in an interesting spot when you see where everyone ends up. You're like, okay, a lot of this makes sense. Um, and and I, I don't know. I ultimately is it propaganda? Yeah, but so are every so is every show about cops?
0: Yeah totally uh, and then one other game I've been playing a little bit again not a ton of time but I'm playing a little game called army of ruin it is very much okay a uh, a bullet heaven or a reverse bullet hell depending on which term you like I kind of like the bullet heaven just because it's easier to say but it's very much vampire survivors uh, soul halls of torment soulstone those kind of things where you're the character running around sending out projectiles being swarmed by masses of enemies and you get stronger so you shoot more weapons and all sorts of fun things. Um, and so I've been playing a little bit of that because one of the nice things about Army of Ruin as opposed to, say, Vampire Survivors, I like Vampire Survivors. kind of love it. I think it's a great game.
1: I think it's incredible.
0: My only complaint about it is... You either die or you play a full 30 minutes until the Reaper comes and then then your run is over, right? Uh-huh. So yep. Army of Ruin is kind of similar, although uh, it is only like 10 minutes. Oh, so that's it that's it's a, you can play that's in real much, attractive much quicker to me. Little chunks. So
1: that's real attractive to me because I really enjoy vampire survivors until I get good at it. And I'm like, well, shit, uh-huh. every run to half an hour. Uh huh. I got to like make sure I got a half hour.
0: And, and that is why I would strongly recommend uh, going ahead and giving it a try. It's pretty cheap. Found it on Steam. Uh, and uh, I have been enjoying it. And I'm throwing in, I tried to throw it into the meeting chat in Zoom, but for some reason I'm too stupid to figure out how to put a picture in there. So I just sent you a text that I would like you to, if you don't mind, look at on uh, the pod. And you'll see why I've been playing a little bit of Army of Ruin.
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) Did you get one of those... Yeah. I thought those weren't out yet. Oh no,
0: it came out this uh, came out last week, end of last week. That big chonky boy that you can see, and it is the picture does not do it justice. It is, it is a chunkster. It is fat. It is heavy, but it feels pretty nice in the hands. And the biggest thing is the screen is a lot, lot bigger.
1: That's very big. Yeah.
0: So what uh, Eden is looking at this is, is my Steam Deck. It's a
1: Lenovo Legion.
0: Correct. Next to my new Lenovo Legion Go.
1: This is this is the one that has the like nunchuck or like the nunchucks, right? Like you can pop those suckers off.
0: Correct. The controllers on the side do pull off and you can use them independent of the screen in the middle.
1: That's pretty wild. Yeah.
0: It's it's big, but uh It's been fun. It's not really any more powerful. I'm pretty sure it's the exact same chip, in fact, as in the Asus ROG Ally, uh, which embarrassingly Uh I have as well. But the screen in particular, the part of the screen, you know, the ROG Ally says it's a seven inch screen and the Legion Go is an eight inch. But I Uh think that that's underestimating because the ROG Ally, it's a nice looking screen, but it's got a fairly big bezel at the top and bottom of the screen itself, whereas the Legion Go uh-huh. really goes to within, you know, like maybe a quarter of an inch. Uh, and so the actual screen itself, while it is bigger, the visible, the actual portion of the screen goes much further to the edges. So it is it is a very noticeable uh, increase in screen size when you're uh, playing it. Uh, but uh, Army of Ruin looks great on it. Army of Ruin is, again, it's, you know, it's nothing graphically demanding or anything, but rather than kind of the pixel style of vampire survivors, it's just sort of a, it looks like, I mean, you look at it and you go, oh, this is probably made in unity. It looks like a very unity type game, but again, sure. uh, it's been fun and it's, I, I enjoy it because I can fire it up and I can complete a run and be victorious in 10 minutes. And if I'm going to die, it's going to happen in less than 10 minutes. So Really nice for quick little chunks.
1: Well, that sounds just about perfect because, you know, I do like vampire survivors, but sometimes I don't 30 minutes like vampire survivors. <laughs> right.
0: And, you know, you're sitting there, you're getting up to level 100. And then you, after that, you're just getting more gold or food and gold or food and gold or food. And in this, you know, I haven't ever maxed out any of my abilities, but by the time or the weapons and stuff that you're getting as you level up. I haven't gotten to the point where I've maxed that out and it feels, I mean, I don't know for me, vampire survivors. Once I get to level 100 and I'm not really making any, well, even before then, once I get everything maxed out and I'm not doing anything other than getting more gold, that's uh-huh. where that game for me kind of starts to feel like I'm it's wasting my time. Sure. And so I like that this, that I've never gotten there. You know, usually I'm still, I could have leveled up more by the time I get to the end boss for the level. So it it's good. It's worth checking out. Well, that's
1: very cool.
0: All right. Well, let's get to our main event for the day. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait. Now I'm, I'm going to give it. All right. I'm just going to say it. This is my fault. I did this to us. I take full responsibility.
1: No, before you before you start, I need to say, congratulations, SAG-AFTRA, for signing a tentative deal. We're back to movies, baby. Let's watch <laughs> a movie. Uh,
0: yes, and I am so I'm, I'm I'm thrilled about that. And we had talked previously the WGA strike that's over. They reached an agreement. But let's also say, I bet you, I bet you, SAG-AFTRA didn't have anything to do with this movie.
1: Yeah, probably not. You. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking it's really big on it.
0: All right, listeners, we are going to talk maybe briefly, maybe for a little while. I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to talk about the 1985 film, Jim Cotta. Now, why did we watch Jim Cotta? Well, okay. I was going to
1: say, you, you have to tell the story.
0: <laughs> so when I was but a wee lad, I had a good friend. Uh, And this friend, Warren Petty, he was my very best friend at that time growing up. And I do not know how he found this movie. But somehow he found this movie, got a copy of it, and loved this movie. And so we would, all the time, when we were hanging out, he would put this movie on and we would watch it. And I hadn't thought about this movie in Years like I mean again we're talking it came out in 85 it's 2023 I probably haven't thought of it since at the very latest 1988 so it's uh-huh. been a long time and I was thinking how did you I, I, I don't I was how, thinking to myself it would be fun to watch a really bad movie maybe. And all of a sudden, <laughs> into my head, popped a scene from this movie, which we will talk about. And I thought to myself, hot damn, we need to watch Jim Cotta <laughs> And so we did.
1: And so we <laughs> so,
0: did. Okay, I'm going to give a really, really quick summary of this, and then we're just going to talk about things. <laughs> so... Gymkata was uh, is apparently based on a book. Uh, I don't think I want to read the book after seeing the movie, Uh, but
1: I can't imagine that the book had the gymnastics angle, though.
0: I certainly hope not. So, you know, and I'm looking on Wikipedia really quick here. So uh, the main uh, character slash actor in this movie is uh, one Kurt Thomas. He was an Olympic gymnast and part time actor. And he had won some world championships and uh, actually had in 1979, he'd set the record for most most medals won at a single world championship until Simone Biles took that record in 2018. Uh, He was favored to win uh, a medal in the 1980 Olympics, but did not compete because of the boycott. So
1: Mm -hmm.
0: after that, it kind of seems like they decided he, he was going to try and break into uh, the acting gig. And Jim Cotta was his vehicle. Jim Cotta is uh, really, it's, it's, it's something else. And what we have here is we've got the main character, Kurt Thomas. Uh, plays, uh, he plays Jonathan Cabot, who is approached by the Special Intelligence Agency to play, quote, the game. The game is this competition that takes place in a fictional country called Parmistan, a tiny mountain nation which is supposedly located in the Hindu Kush mountain range. Parmistan forces any forest foreigners who come into the country to play the game, which is this endurance race with some obstacles, during which time they are being chased by local Parmistan warriors. If the person completes, they are granted their life and a wish. And this little sort of backwater uh, s- country apparently is in the perfect location uh, to have uh, a, a U.S. satellite monitoring station that could monitor all the satellites in space and act as an wor- early warning system in case of nuclear attack.
1: And so Cabot is told— Yes, listener. <laughs> yes, listener. Star Wars is real is. and in this movie. it. Totally
0: is. Um, it, oh my gosh. It's anyway, long story short, they <laughs> recruit Cabot to play this. Apparently his father had been sent there and was not heard from again. He has a whole little training montage where he's training. And then of course, randomly they introduce him to, um, to the princess Rubali of Parmiston, daughter of the King. She's there to just hang out and he trains. They go to the town of Karabal on the Caspian Sea.
1: Mm, he trains. They fuck, <laughs> and then they go to the city of Karabal on the Caspian, Caspian Sea.
0: Yes, I was going to talk about the uh, quote romance between the two of them uh, in a little bit. So I'm just saying it, you you are not wrong. Anyway, Princess Rubali gets kidnapped. He goes in using his unstoppable gymkata fighting style that combines gymnastics and karate. Uh, He easily takes care of dozens of terrorists before they return, find out that his hander had betrayed them. The SIA arrives, saves him, and then, boom, they go to Parmiston. The whole thing starts. Uh, She is, you know, taken back with her dad. There's this other dude, Zamir, Commander Zamir, who is the commander and the king trusts implicitly, but he's actually staging a whole coup and they start the games and Zamir doesn't play fair. And in the end, you know, of course our, our good guy wins and he comes riding in to the city victorious. And then it immediately just the movie stops and you get a little subtitle thing that says in 1985, the U S installed a satellite warning station. <laughs> the end and the movie's over.
1: It's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a, it's a, a lot.
0: And it's not a lot. That's the thing.
1: That's the thing. It's a lot, but it's also nothing. There's <laughs> there nothing, is nothing
0: here. here. I sat here watching it going, okay, on the one hand, how is this actually 90 minutes? And then on the other hand, I'm like, well,
1: I'll tell you how, <laughs> Tell us, please. The way it's 90 minutes is, okay, so as far as I can tell, there are three, ob- well, four obstacles to the race that is the game. Yes. Number one, run through a cornfield. Correct,
0: which they call- Very hard. Which they call a swamp. A three-mile run through the swamp.
1: It's a cornfield. It's field. a cornfield. I live in corn country. I know what corn looks <laughs> like. That's a cornfield. <laughs> um So run through cornfield. Number two, climb a rope. Uh-huh. Up a hill, up a mountain, or up a a cliff. Yep. Number three, climb a rope over a ravine. Correct. And number four, the city where they put all of the criminally insane. (laughs) Uh, And so the way that they make this movie 90 minutes is by sending him to the criminally insane town and then doing some of the slowest slow-mo shots and the, like, most pained attempt at like, I'm trying to build mood here. And you're like the mood that you are building for me is hit 15 seconds forward, hit 15 seconds forward, hit 15 seconds <laughs> forward. Cause it ain't doing it. It ain't got it. Oh, uh, So. <laughs> all right. So let's talk
0: about the city. Let's talk about the city or the town of the criminally insane. Um, it's a lot. It's, Great, he gets in there and the gate automatically closes, just closes behind him. So now he's trapped in the city. And it's so much of him walking around and random people, especially old ladies, up in windows cackling <laughs> so that he looks at them so that then somebody else can try and grab him. But it contains the scene, yeah. What do you think the scene is that was indelibly etched in my memory? And came rushing back when I started to think about really shit movies.
1: So there is a (laughs) point where he gets cornered by like three different groups as they are like surrounding him with pitchforks and scythes and everything. And there just so happens to be these two bricks with these two like pieces of metal sticking out of them. That may basically make a pommel horse.
0: (laughs) There's just straight up a pommel horse in the center of this. There's
1: just straight up a pommel horse made out of concrete in the middle of the square in this town. So he starts doing some sick gymnastics shit on this pommel horse (laughs) and just like taking these criminally insane folks to town.
0: Oh, he is swinging around one foot, kicking them
1: two feet, kicking them. Just spinning, flipping. It's very silly. It it is. Oh, man. It's very silly. There are, like, most of the scenes, it's not like, oh, yeah, they got him because he's a gymnast. It's like, okay, that's a mediocre fight between, it's like, faint, faint, punch. Oh, good job, buddy. Faint, punch. Ooh, good job, buddy. But, like, that scene is like, oh, he's a gymnast, and we want him to show off his gymnast moves. And then the other one that was the silliest part to me, this is... It's smaller, maybe for other people it wouldn't be so silly. Is, is it the first? But in is Obstacle it the f- 2. Oh, yes, yes. Obstacle 2, when he is climbing the rope. How does he climb the rope, Peter? <laughs> it's Peter.
0: <laughs> okay, now, you know, listener, let's say you want to stretch your hamstrings. And so you may sit on the ground, and you want to be able to stretch your hamstrings as well as your adductor muscles. And so you put your legs out at angles, and then you may stretch one leg and the other and then go in the middle. So imagine that pose. You You're got sitting extremely there wide v. with your legs out in a wide V. He is climbing a rope
1: with his legs straight out in an extremely wide V. I mean, we're talking like 120, 130 <laughs> degree angle in his crotch. Like, what is he doing? I don't know. On what planet... On what planet does that make it easier to climb a rope, dog? <laughs> it was so, I, that was where I lost it. That was where I was like, okay, okay, okay.
0: I don't know. I liked the very first fight that we see once he gets to Carabal or whatever it was called. He goes into an alley and he's being chased by people. And there just so happens to be a pipe in this alley going between the two buildings, a pipe that mind you magically happens to have a lot of chalk on it. Because as he's spinning around this pipe doing gymnastic stuff, you can clearly see the chalk on his hands as he's doing this stuff. And basically he just like swings around and then kick somebody in the face as they come around the corner and then he swings around it's
1: very, and then oh kick somebody
0: in the face. And and at one point accidentally kicks some random dude who comes around the corner and stops down and it's like, he'll be okay. And just and takes it's like, off. I'm running. so sorry.
1: I'm so sorry. My other favorite thing, like that was on purpose. That's part of the film. Oh yeah. One of my favorite gaffes, like I could tell this was not intentional was okay. So one of the things that they do is the day before all of the athletes go on the game uh-huh. run they send they basically like Pontius pilot it and they're like we're gonna let these three criminals go and run the game and so they let them go and then all of the athletes are on horses following and there's this scene where they're following and a dude gets body by this by this horse gets knocked right on his ass and you're like oh that was on purpose That was a dude in the wrong place and the wrong horse. Like (laughs) they just had one cut and they were like, ah, Jim fell over. (laughs) Fuck it. We're just, we're just doing it. Send it, send it to the editing booth. We're doing
0: it. (laughs) Oh yeah. I totally noticed that. Uh, so, (laughs) so kind of our main, okay, let's go back. There are, oh my gosh, there's so many problems with this movie. So many problems with this. One of the, one of my favorite things and something that we, uh, we, we briefly discussed before we started recording is the fact that the accents in this movie make no sense whatsoever. None. And they're so inconsistent. The King, the first time we see him, he's got this really weird affected accent. <sighs> And then it's just like What's gone. going on there? But then it's just gone.
1: I thought. Then it's gone. Y- the, king, the king might as well have been fucking Mel Brooks. Yes. That's who he, he looks like. He kind of looked like him and, and seemed like he was doing like a shitpost thing like Mel Brooks would do. And then I was like, the rest of the movie takes itself so deathly serious. I don't think he's supposed to be like Yogurt, the <laughs> Schwartzmaster here. Like... What what are we doing with this guy? And we're supposed to believe he's the dad of the hot princess? And I love how they like put early on, they're like, she's the princess of, of Parmistan. Her mother was Indonesian. <laughs> so that we can be like, why is there this one Asian person at all in this movie? Right? It's because her mother was from it's Indonesia. Like- her dad just looks like a Jewish dude from Queens. Exactly. But her mother was from Indonesia.
0: Everybody else... <laughs> he just looks white, and then we've got this Filipina actress who's like, oh yeah, it's great. And then, then you got Zamir, and again, what is Zamir supposed to be? Who, who is he? Where he looks just as white as our main character. He's got a lovely little rat tail braid that comes down, kind of, you know.
1: You mean you mean a padawan? I was braid. just gonna say,
0: just he padawan basically... style coming down over his shoulder.
1: He's like bad old Anakin Skywalker.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And then one of the other things I love is you've got this one competitor, Thorg. His name is Thorg. Thorg. And he's this big sadistic, whatever dude. And like they're at dinner having this big banquet because they're going to, they're going to start the game. I don't remember if it was the next day or whatever, but they're, they're at the banquet which of course that's when the king announces that his his daughter princess ribali is going to marry zamir the next day after the games and as as eden pointed out our main character you know um, and princess ribali they've they have they've been getting together and so they're like making eyes at each other and and all of a sudden into this dinner comes this dude Thor. and it's like where did Thorg come from? And at some point, the main character, he makes a little comment that's something to the effect of, oh, Thorg, I've admired you since Munich.
1: Yeah, what, what was that? Why do, you, why do you know who Thorg is? What, what is going on here? <laughs> I don't know who Thorg is. The movie has not established who Thorg is. <laughs> no. So why does it act like I should have already known who Thorg was?
0: Yeah, he just like shows up and then, you know, he basically takes out a couple of the other guys and then there's a whole big fight between him and Cabot and he gets an arrow in him because again, it's one of these things where it kind of feels like they were trying to be too clever by far where early on in the training montage, we've got Cabot chopping wood and his kind of Japanese guru who's there with him, whatever, is like
1: his extremely racist caricature trainer, you Exactly.
0: Mean? Um, I mean so many racist caricatures in this movie.
1: But he's very much so. But I did. I, I wrote when we started how long until flagrantly racist. And then I was able to note eight minutes, three seconds, because that is when the <laughs> Japanese trainer up here. <appeared.
0: laughs> that, that tracks. That's about right. I think I, I wrote at least twice. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so racist. But um it's extremely racist. We've got him chopping wood and caricature of a, of, a, you know, the the Japanese man is basically telling him to listen to the sound of the hatchet. And so all of a sudden that becomes how he is attuned to that and Cabot can hear the arrow coming. So he knows to duck so that it hits Thorg in the chest, who then shows up there a little know. bit later with half the arrow still sticking out of his chest in the city of crazy people, which I'm curious how he got in there because as soon as Cabot comes slammed. in, it slams shut. Yeah.
1: But then, yeah. but there was already one of the the guy who was in front was already in there dead. So like clearly they because cla-
0: he because we find him like stuck to the thing with the nice little trail of blood going down, and and we have that whole yeah. scene of the dog the lapping puppy. up the blood.
1: Yeah. Again, you got to get it to ninety minutes somehow. <laughs> so we got to have thirty seconds of a dog lapping up a um food colored puddle of blood.
0: So at the end of the crazy people city thing, Cabot goes into this little alleyway and kind of does like a chimney climb up in between these two things. Gets to the top of it. There's a little ledge where he could just (laughs) grab that and go up, but he starts pulling on the metal bars over the window. Why does
1: he not pull himself up? And then it's like super slow-mo and and clearly, he is supposed to be making sounds that are like exertion sounds. But I know what the sounds of sex sound like. And that those are sex moans, not exertion, I am trying to not die moans. Yeah. What are we doing, my guy? Yeah. Kurt, what is the sound you're making? Why does it sound like you're having the time of your life? complimentary, not derogatorily.
0: Okay. So let's talk then briefly about sound. What the hell were these people thinking? The sound of this is kicking sounds. I mean, so, okay, look, listeners, I love the old Rocky movies. And if you watch a Rocky movie and then you watch actual boxing, the sound, you will be sorely disappointed at the sound that the punches make. In real boxing. Imagine. Imagine that exaggerated sound of the punching in a Rocky boxing match, but crank it up to like 42. It's so bad.
1: It almost sounded like, it almost sounded like metal sometimes. Yeah. Like some of the punches and kicks in the pommel horse scene sounded like it was metal smacking metal. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be sneaker smacking flesh what is going on
0: well and so many things things some of the sounds they're just so loud and so out of just I mean and and I'm watching it and all I can think is I'm like the sounds as he is walking along the street are so unnaturally loud it's that somebody had to go back in after and add those sounds Mm -hmm. They deliberately made the choice to add in the sounds of his feet on the streets and stuff like that. That was just ridiculous. And it was so distracting to me because I'm like, that's not what it sounds like when somebody walks on a street, especially not wearing sneakers. He's wearing sneakers like 1985 running shoe looking sneakers (laughs) and he's running along and it sounds like a horse on cobblestone. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's very weird. And then
0: he gets to the top of that chimney again. All he has to do is go two feet further, and he's over the top. But he can't. He's stuck. Not even
1: two feet. It's like a foot.
0: And he's pulling on. Yeah, he's and he's pulling on like. And again, I don't understand why he grabs this one iron (laughs) thing in front of this window, and he's just like, "Uh, uh, uh," as he's pulling on it, and then down from above him where he clearly just needs to go up and go comes one of the parmiston warriors and then a hand reaches down
1: who of course are wearing the most like stereotypical like i am and i am a bedouin sword, soldier hiding my face and riding my <laughs> horses
0: <laughs> and of course it turns out to be his dad who we saw at the very beginning who got like yeah Anyway, shot, shot with an, with an arrow, arrow and, and fell, fell into, into the, the yeah, ravine. Exactly,
1: Lost, lost on, uh, step three of the four step process.
0: So, uh, so he helps him up and then of course his dad gets shot in the back with an arrow, but then his dad shows up at the end. I love it. He comes riding into the town, you know, Cabot's uh, Jonathan, Jonathan is on one horse and his dad, Colonel Cabot. That's the only thing, name I think we ever get is on another horse behind him, which is his big old massive arrow sticking out of his back. And they just come chilling in and Princess Ribali runs down. And then the next thing you know, she's on the horse in front of Cabot and she gives him a kiss on the cheek and he kisses her on the cheek. And they're still just like smiling at the camera while his dad is sitting there with this massive fucking arrow sticking out of his back.
1: Basically, basically bleeding out. And again, and he's and like, it it's literally, fine. it just
0: ends. It just ends. And it's like, it literally says in 1985, the U S installed the first satellite <laughs> monitoring station and it's over.
1: It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think we're getting sort of to the end here. So yes, I need to no, give we you are. I, I the most said depressing. I, to I, I need to depress myself so bad. Oh no. This movie was directed by one Robert Klaus. Have you ever seen any other films directed by Robert no, Klaus? I, Let me list some of them. Maybe you'll have heard oh some my. of them. Uh, have you ever heard of Game of Death? It's a pretty well-regarded uh, Hong Kong martial arts film. Um, how about uh, The Ultimate Warrior? Uh-huh. The film of the future starring Yul Brenner and Max von Sydow. It's a pretty okay movie. But here's the one that depressed me to no end. The man who directed Jim Cotta is the same man who 12 years previous directed Enter the Dragon, Uh Bruce Lee's most famous film. What (laughs) are we doing here, guys? The guy who made Enter the Dragon turned around and made Jim Cotta? He didn't...
0: I don't know. I do not know what to tell What?
1: Him. Have you ever seen Enter the Dragon? It rules. It is. It's incredible. Yeah. And then this guy made. Joke. <laughs> what are we doing here? I did not look at that. What at are all. we?
0: And then I just clicked on the Wikipedia thing, and the first thing I see is Enter the Dragon, and I'm like, what? No, 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 Yeah, no, what are we how? doing here? Oh my gosh! This I don't, I don't so, even know how
1: that happens.
0: Uh well. You know, this movie was something else. And I just want to say in my defense, I do not remember. And I would, I like, I would be honest. I have no shame. Just ask the people at work. How many times have I told the story at work of me shitting myself while I'm vomiting outside room 28 in the, <laughs> the OR because I was violently ill. I have no shame. If I liked this movie or remembered that I really liked this movie as a kid, I would own it. I would say I did. I don't remember if I did or not. I just remember that my friend you loved it. You
1: just remember it. it
0: existed. And we watched it a lot. <laughs> and so it was there in my mind. And as we were thinking about movies that we could maybe watch as things were wrapping up with the strikes, I thought to myself, let's watch Jim Cotta." And you as I what? sent a text to you Thank in between, you with me. mistakes were made. But here we are, and I laughed a lot talking to you about this truly atrocious movie.
1: Oh, the conversation's been a delight, <laughs> um, even if the movie was that. I would
0: like to say that, uh, you know, a well-regarded <laughs> publication, uh, according to the Wikipedia article, Maxim Magazine, uh, did rank oh, Jim Cotta yes. as the 17th worst movie of all time
1: seems a little high i have i personally have probably seen 16 (laughs) 17 movies that are worse than this movie so i don't think it deserves to hang on a list of the top 100 worst movies but it was pretty bad it
0: was pretty bad
1: in a world where ballistic x versus sever exists though i don't think jim Cotta makes the list
0: (laughs) now i kind of want to watch that movie
1: what did you just do to me have you ever seen it no You should you should see at some point in your life, <laughs> Ballistic X versus Sever. It's so bad that you're just like, really? <laughs> they did this. All right. They put this. Lucy Liu and Antonio Banderas did this to themselves.
0: Maybe I'll have to check it out.
1: But it's very bad. Cool. It's very bad.
0: Well, is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up?
1: Uh, the only thing I will say is that you can you can just tell like I have to Google this Jean-Claude Van Damme. When did Van Dam become like a thing after this? Mm-hmm. I was thinking I was thinking surely they saw the success of Jean-Claude Van Damme and they were like, what if we do that to this gymnast? But that's not what's happening here. Clearly what happened instead is someone watched Jim Cod and they were like, what if we got an actual martial artist to do this stuff?
0: <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. Let's get
1: Jean-Claude in here.
0: Yeah. I mean, cause, let's get you know,
1: Jean-Claude in the, in the mix.
0: Yeah. Well, like I say, it well, was something. It was something.
1: It certainly was.
0: And uh, thank you for sharing. With you me. know, I'm so glad I could, and I appreciate you joining me on this journey. Uh, I will confess to another question mark, bad parenting moment. We sat, I sat down to watch it. My 14 year old was there sitting next to me. Plex throws up a big thing that says it's rated R. And I looked at him and I said, you're going to be just fine. I'm pretty sure it's just because.
1: It was just fine.
0: <laughs> it was very much. I'm like, yeah, this is nothing. <laughs> at the first time there's a quote, "Grizzly murder uh, in the market of Karabal, he turns to me and he goes, it looks like they just scribbled on that dude's suit with magic marker. (laughs) And I'm like, I think, yeah,
1: no, it was not, that did not deserve an R rating. No, (laughs) no, not at all. Not
0: even close, but well, listener, we appreciate you listening to us as we talked about this bad movie and some other things that we uh, listened to or played or read or enjoyed that were not as bad as this movie. So until next time, uh, if you have any feedback for us, please reach out. Feedback at culture.com. Uh, go ahead and leave us a review. Uh, leave us a star rating. We'd love five if you think we're worth it. And uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with something different.
1: Yeah, talk to you all in a bit.